This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, 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 and welcome. It is The Food Show on WWL HD2 105.3 FM. The Gourmet Cellist here, Dan Lelchuk. Great to be here on a nice bright afternoon talking food and recipes and cocktails and dining in and dining out and all the rest. It's a pleasurable show uh, with a joyful host and uh, it's great to be here and to welcome a very special guest joining us via the telephone is Chef Ming Tsai. Uh, Welcome Chef, so great to have you. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, great so uh, it, it's great to have you. So I, you just got back from cooking at the Masters, which which we'll we'll talk about because that that's almost as big a story as Tiger Woods winning. So uh, uh, we'll <laughs> we'll go there in a minute. But l- let me just give um uh, give the audience. I, I know you're very well known to this audience, which is very educated. But a, a quick rundown. Uh, you you were born in California, grew up in Dayton, Ohio, uh, and yeah. you watched your parents run a wonderful restaurant, a family-owned restaurant, Mandarin Kitchen. Uh, uh, now, for folks listening, how many celebrity chefs go to high school at Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts, uh, and then a mechanical engineering degree uh, from Yale? Uh, not too common. Uh, uh, 16, what, 16 seasons on uh, and running on PBS uh, with your show Simply Ming, uh, I grew up watching you um, uh, from my home in New Hampshire in middle school. Uh, and, of course, going to Blue Ginger, your flagship restaurant in Wellesley, Massachusetts. In any case, uh, a quite a storied career. Yeah, you know, it's not been so bad. I have to correct you off the top, though. I didn't watch my re- my parents run a Chinese restaurant. I dishwashed, rice-cooked, janitored, managed my <laughs> parents' restaurant. So <laughs> I lived it, too, which, which, of course, I give them all the credit for me producing or acquiring the restaurant bug, as we call it. Cause I really, at the young age of 14 and 15 realized that if you could, you could actually make people happy through food. You can actually with good food and good service at a good value. Now you make people happy. They, they come back and then they end up eventually becoming family. And that's, so cool. That's what the restaurant business does, which I love. You know, we, we talk about, uh, when, when I guest host this show, because by trade I'm a cellist, and we talk about all the time here the uh, the intersection of food and music, and I always say everybody who loves music yeah. loves food, and vice versa. And uh, and when you mentioned the restaurant bug, I mean, when I got the cello bug at age five, yeah. uh, it, it just yeah. grabbed hold of me, and, and people say, well, how, how do you stick with it? I said, it, it, it sticks with you. It grabs you, and you, you don't have a choice. <laughs> No, I, and that is true. And, and by the way, if you don't have the restaurant bug, it's not the right business for you because it's an arduous, difficult, challenging business. And if you don't really have a true love and passion for it, it, it will drive you bananas. 100%. I can I can imagine that now. <laughs> now, um, I, I want to talk about some of your latest projects, but but first, give me a a rundown. So 
Mandarin Kitchen, the first restaurant you worked at, your, your folks' yep. restaurant in the middle of the heartland of, uh, of the Rust Belt in yeah. Dayton, Ohio. What was the food yeah. like being served there versus the kind of food your parents were making at home? You know, pretty similar. Um, back then, as you can imagine, there were not a lot of Chinese restaurants. There weren't a lot of Chinese people, for that matter, in Dayton, Ohio. And I think there, was, there literally was one restaurant called the Peking House and one, believe it or not, um, called Chop Suey Carryout, and um, which <laughs> which <laughs> actually made Chop Suey and Fu Young, and and we would go there probably once a month. And but the best Chinese food is always at home. And so, per the urging of all my mom's friends, because she used to teach cooking classes in the high schools around there, she became an empty nester early because both my brother and I went to, went away to prep school, so four years earlier than kind of normal, and so. That, she decided to open them in her kitchen. And my dad, who is literally a rocket scientist, he truly is an engineer, he, um, um, he helped devise what is now called fast casual, which was cooking in batches. You, everyone here listening has probably seen a Chipotle or been in one, but that idea of batch cooking, making you know a hotel pan of beef and a hotel pan of chicken, and then they just make their you know, burritos or their rice bowls, um, my dad invented that technique wow. back in the back of the eighties because we used to we couldn't we we did a fast casual Chinese and you couldn't do Chinese to order. There's too many people. There's twenty people in line, it's too slow. So we would make five Mongolian beefs, five sweet and sour shrimp, five whatever, so we would batch it and then people would order with either brown rice, white rice or noodles and in and out. And uh so he he, he once again was way ahead of his time. But but it was traditional Mandarin food that my mom she did all the recipes and, and and I got to do it all, literally. I mean, I was the manager and the chef, but I literally was also the janitor and the dishwasher. It always depended on who showed up to work. <laughs> whoever didn't show up to work was my job. Because if you're the kid, you, you, you can't play hooky. Uh, yeah. I literally had an egg roll cart. I literally, every lunch, rolled a cart out to the middle of the square, and I'd sell about 100 egg rolls, and I'd roll back. I mean, you can't, you can't get more cliche than Ming's egg roll cart, but uh, that, I, I did have one, hey, and ma- I loved it. It makes me wish I grew up in Dayton at the time of the egg roll cart. <laughs> I, I would have been yeah. there every day. Okay. Uh, now, the Chinese food, obviously China is a vast place you know, with wildly unique cultures and food uh, and dialects, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of incomprehensible. Uh, why does Chinese food uh, have such a... A sort of a varied reputation in America, and and you've been on the forefront of, of sort of educating the populace about uh, the Chinese food. Um, right. the, I mean, the history of Chinese food obviously goes back a long time. It's it's probably the the original quote ethnic food of, of the United States, and it's been loved for what a hundred plus years, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great question. That's pretty apropos too, because there's been if you've seen online about this one woman in New York that opened up China. She called it clean Chinese food. <laughs> a friend just sent and, me that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and unfortunately that can be viewed as pretty offensive, implying that the other Chinese food is dirty Chinese food. And, 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 and unfortunately the way she brought it about was just very inauthentic and not re- very well received by us Chinese Americans. Um, but having said that, to answer your question, <clears throat> so there's, a, there's a, just a huge delta between authentic Chinese food, really good Chinese food, and then really bad Chinese food. But <laughs> that's coming from a Chinese chef's point of view. Really bad Chinese food 
from a chef's point of view, like what I make at home or what I'm used to going when I go to a great Chinese restaurant in New York or Vancouver or San Francisco or China itself, that doesn't necessarily mean that this, what I consider bad Chinese food, not authentic Chinese food, that doesn't mean it's not popular. Do you understand my drift? Sure. There's, some, there's, there's definitely American, <laughs> Americanized Chinese food that the American palate enjoys. And that's, it's not a right or wrong. If, 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 you like, if you know what you like to eat and you eat it, well, who am I to say, oh, that's not authentic, that's mm-hmm. no good. Mm-hmm. If you think it's good, then it's good. Yeah. Now, having said that, unfortunately, some of the, um, as I call bad Chinese or inauthentic Chinese food, is also not great for you health-wise, <laughs> nutrition-wise. Yeah. Because it's battered or double battered, then fried, so that's a that's a grease ball, and then that stir fried, and then extra cloyingly sweet sauces and brown sauces that are thickened with lots of cornstarch. So, so it's just not the bright, clear, bold flavors of the Chinese food that I love to eat. And you know, so it's not really a right or wrong; it is preference. But by the way, there's some really bad Italian, Mexican, and Japanese food in this country as well. Absolutely, right? I mean, probably more bad Italian uh, than good. Yeah. Yeah, and and to and to your point, it's exponentially worse because of the variety of Chinese food. Um, not saying that. Let, let's say let's let's just Mexico has maybe five or seven regions, or five real food regions, and the, and the, it's very different. What Puebla has the mole, and then you go down south the spices. So there's that. China's just bigger and much more varied. So there's so so, so much more diversity amongst the cuisines itself in China. So on the other side of this coin, we're talking about bad Chinese food. There's some awesome Chinese food now in this country because they're doing really, truly authentic. It's not just Sichuan or Hunan now, right? I mean, they're really dialing down to really specific um, cuisines that are super authentic. Um, and that's exciting. But then you really need to be closer to a big city, right? You need to be closer to New York or Boston or in L.A. or San Francisco for that type of Chinese cuisine. The good news is... The style of Asian food, the type of natural diet, meaning lots of veg, some meat for flavoring, smarter carbs in some instances, not as fatty, meaning dairy-wise and cream sauces, is actually good for this country, right? There's a lot of great tasty food, and and people are realizing that it's actually not that hard to cook Chinese food or any type of Asian food. It's just a little bit different ingredients and a different balance of of a diet that actually works. And, and I would never do a diet to lose weight or lose anything. I just wanted to make delicious food. But the type of mixture and blend that we use between meat, veg, protein, and carb um, is a smarter way of going, I think. Now, how has your evolution sort of mirrored the, the country's development and their taste for Chinese food? Because obviously, at one point, you said to yourself, I'm no longer going to only make straight ahead, quote, Chinese food, because part right. of what you're so well known for is, is I, I, the term fusion is, is now sort of very overused. But I think you were, you were using yeah. the term when it, when it really meant something. Um, yeah. And, and w- what was the motivation? Because obviously, had you opened up a, a very fine straight ahead Chinese restaurant in Boston, uh, it would have done well. Absolutely. But, but you were driven to um, do something a little different. Uh, and you know, and that's just by by training and by by being blessed. I had two amazing, still have my two amazing parents that took us traveling at a young age. I had an opportunity to be able to go live in Paris, uh, and I'm looking at CNN as we speak. The just horrible fire, terrible, and Notre Dame. Uh, terrible. I, I have been there. We just, my wife and I, just looking through photos. We brought our kids there when they were like six and eight, and and I've been. I used to 
oh my god, I, I my one of my greatest friends lived on New Saint Louis. I saw Notre Dame probably when I lived in Paris. I lived there almost two years. I would drink at Il Bar Il Saint Louis, Brasserie Il Saint Louis, the proper town, right across from Bétillon, which is this great sorbet shop. Yeah, and yeah. you would just be looking at the Notre Dame. I just can't. I, I just so hope this is not a terrorist attack. I just so hope it was just a freak thing, and I feel bad for the workmen that caused it or whatever. But it would just be that much worse. It, it, it's awful. I mean, it's it's the, the symbol of the city. And I mean, have, having been traveling oh. to Europe since I was one year old, I mean, you, you get these symbols in your in your DNA. I mean, I went to high school in Rome and uh, it's just, you know, something that, that you can't imagine because it's it's that built in symbolism. Uh, it tru- it's truly so iconic. Weird. I mean, it, and not and not to be macabre here, but you look at that tower burning, you think of 9-11, you're like, Jesus. It's this world. It is really. It's a. It's what a symbol happened? of a disintegration. Someone said, and it's really. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. really troubling. Literally, it's so sad. But you know what? Guess what? People like us just need to rise even harder, right? We need to give more to the charities you believe in. You need to be kinder to the person tonight you see on the street. Right? That's all we can do. Absolutely. And, and, we can't. And you've been doing that, do that so long with food. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget this is one of my uh, one of my favorite stories that I tell people when when I used to watch you in middle school because I was always passionate about watching food. I, I at one point you know you you uh, you get too good musically for New Hampshire and you have to start going to Boston. And um, <laughs> and uh, so so we me and my mom used to drive down every week uh, beginning of high school to, to Boston for youth orchestra and lessons. And I said, Mom, for your birthday I'm going to take you to Blue Ginger. I, I didn't realize that actually as a freshman in high school I maybe didn't have the money to take my mom to Blue Ginger, <laughs> but <laughs> it didn't. Okay. It was my idea anyway. So we went. We had a wonderful time, and uh, and uh, and you were there and came out and greeted us and and uh, took pictures together. And and that was just actually it. It goes back to. What you were talking about before, really going the uh, the bit of the extra measure, because you don't know how a gesture can really uh, affect someone's life and really uh, yeah. make them feel all the more grateful for that. Yeah, you know, I, I, so let me first answer your question. So, um, because I spent so much time in France, I realized, like, damn, the French can cook too. Because I used to think it was only Chinese, 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 <laughs> and and I immediately said, I'm going to blend these two. I think, you know, and I, and I have some detractors. All my Italian and Japanese and Korean chef friends would not agree with this statement. But the two best and mother cuisines are Chinese and French. They're, they, they've been around the longest French on the western side and Chinese on the eastern. So blending the two, I actually called it Frenese cuisine. Frenese, thank God that name didn't catch. Um, I don't, for the record, like the term fusion. Fusion sounds so forced, right? You fuse atoms to make nuclear energy. I like blending, which is why I call it East-West cuisine, um, or East meets West cuisine, as as my show is called. Uh, and And I just... Uh, and for the record, I am not a classically trained Chinese chef. I never got to spend two years in China working with the master chefs. I actually worked more with French chefs in Paris and then in Kobayashi-san uh, in Kyo- and, uh, Osaka. So I actually worked with those cuisines more um, seriously, if you would, than even Chinese. I cooked Chinese food my whole life, but I learned literally from my grandparents and parents. It's really good Chinese food, but I never worked at a you know one of the highest rated restaurants in China. It's still one of my goals because I the the techniques in Chinese cuisine, especially when it comes to dim sum and all the amazing like Peking duck. Peking duck takes forty eight hours. You have to blow the duck up right now. You use black and decker pump, but before they would use a straw <laughs> in their lungs to blow it up oh to separate the skin from the meat. So when the fat renders, it renders off, and of course you you dip it three times in boiling water, then in molasses type uh, sweet soy. Uh, dark story, make sure you hang it for two days, you roast it. That's a labor of love. And, and I just always think about 
you know, there's amazing French techniques, right? Pat Friete, how, you know, how they got those 1,024 layers and the idea of a souffle or emulsion, that's equally awesome. But think about the men that were probably men because all the men were chefs back then in China sitting around and one of the chefs like, I'm going to go blow up a duck. <laughs> that shit doesn't come up. I do that every night. Cocktails. I was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always, I always have one going in in my in my place here. Yeah. Um, Right. It's just. Now, anyway, Chef, if if you will um, be so kind as to, it it is commercial radio, unfortunately, so there are commercial breaks. If you could hang on through the break, we'd love to keep talking with you. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. This is uh, Dan Leltrick, the gourmet cellist, talking with legendary creator, chef, cookbook writer, PBS TV star, Ming Tsai, who's joined us from New England. Uh, We'll be right back on WWL 105.3 FM HD2. It's the food show. Great music, courtesy of uh, Doug Christian, the producer here, who uh, hand curates the music when I'm here, the gourmet cellist. It's Dan Lalchuk. And uh, back on the phone, uh, having held through the arduous commercial break, is Chef Ming Tsai. Uh, Thanks for sticking around, Chef. No worries. My pleasure. Okay, so um, uh, so I I hope you didn't spend the break watching CNN because it is uh, the fire at Notre Dame is pretty uh, pretty awful. It's so sad. It's I feel so bad for everyone in Paris and France. It's just it's just I mean talk about talk about hurting your soul. That was really the soul of the city. Absolutely. Just uh, anyway. Absolutely. Like I said, we we just need to we need to now rise to the occasion. We have to go keep being kind and figure it out because. That's just a, what a loss. Well, a and, loss. And, and making more great food and making more great music, because those are probably the only two things I can think of uh, in the world that, that really uh, unite people um, around, uh, around a, a proverbial table. I mean, uh, when, when we played the Beethoven Symphony a few nights ago, uh, played it three nights in a row, and I was just looking out in the audience and seeing all the people, and occasionally you see, you see tears streaming down the face, and... And and you don't know who who the people are, but it doesn't matter because they're they're right. there to be moved, and and that that's the same reason they they go to a restaurant of yours or, or watch your show because they have a curiosity and a passion. No, you're absolutely right. So, like you said, we just uh, we need to just dig deeper and keep keep helping those that need comfort because that's, that's that is the goal of music and food half the time, isn't it? Absolutely, for people. Absolutely. And uh, uh, in in that spirit, I uh, I, I want to ask you about about cooking at home because you know a lot of people are not only intimidated um, from going to a real Chinese restaurant uh, because they right. don't see dishes that they recognize, and I mean the, the the list is long. But in any case, you you can imagine many people who didn't grow up uh, either traveling a lot or or in a in a one of the few cities that has a great Chinese restaurant scene. Uh, they they don't really know what to do when they go to. Uh, a place and see a lot of things in the menu they don't recognize and things like that. But, but it's even worse when when they they think, well, I'd love to try to make something at home. Um, but where yep. where do you start if if you want to try to make some authentic? And I I always put authentic in air quotes because it's also a, a dangerous word to use. But um, if you if you want to make some real authentic Chinese food uh, at your home. Uh, you you have a normal stove. You don't have a ton of restaurant equipment. What what can we do? Or are there a few dishes that come to mind? 
Yeah, so uh, obviously there's a lot of great cookbooks out there. Of course, there's there's a lot of shows besides my shows, but yeah, definitely use the web because there's so many great three to five minute snippets on how to, how to cook. Um, you know, one of the reasons I, I I do East West cuisine is it was never to dumb down Chinese or Thai or Japanese food. No, it was, but it was to simplify it so that people would actually get the flavor profile I was looking for. If it's fish sauce, lime juice, and chilies in Thai, or if it's a sesame scallion, garlic, ginger, and Chinese, that those components are what I want to always come through in my food. And but it doesn't have to be those weird ingredients you can't find even at a Whole Foods, right? So a couple quick general recommendations says, again, I mean, of course, buy my books. I have five out there. That would be awesome. But there's a lot of other great Chinese books. If you're talking about authentic Chinese food. But one quick tip, regardless of the book or the recipes, because, and you mentioned, because of people's home stoves, they're not 30,000 BTU burners at all. They're not even legal at home like we have in the restaurant. So one, you have to when it comes to wok stirring or stir frying, you need a flat bottom wok. You can't have the round wok that has the O-ring because that lifts the wok so high off of your burner, assuming you even have gas, it's never going to get hot enough. So if you don't have gas especially and it's electric or halogen, use a flat bottom wok so that at least will get the bottom hot. And always stir fry half the recipe at a time. No one has enough BTUs. When they add the whole recipe in, the wok goes from that sound as usual and then it's like a braise <laughs> so if you do half the recipe you'll get that sizzle sound and it'll maintain the sizzle sound and then you know put the protein aside and then do the second half of the protein and then you combine most Chinese recipes you kind of velvetize or, or, or blanch as we say the protein the chicken the pork or the beef then you set it aside then you restart the same wok unclean with just garlic and ginger and then you add the veg and you add the protein back that's the classic technique so again do it in two batches and you'll come out with some great results and a lot of people are, are confused about the term velveting. What, what, what is velveting, really, when you're talking about velveting chicken for a recipe or something like that? Yeah, so classic velveting is actually using egg white. Um, I, I put a couple drops of sesame oil in it as well. Uh, but egg white, salt, white pepper, usually, for Chinese cuisine. And you kind of, uh, and then a little bit of cornstarch. So it's not at all battered. It kind of it, it kind of lightly coats the chicken. So then that technique I mentioned before, blanching, you would actually have a wok with about a, a half inch of oil. And you kind of pass the chicken through that. That kind of sears in the juices and the flavor, if you would. That, the velveting is kind of the egg wash or egg white coating of it. And usually then you take that chicken, you set it aside. Then you stir fry the veg and garlic ginger that would go with the chicken. Then you add the chicken back. So that that's a good a good sort of method for people to remember. Go back and download the podcast if you didn't write it down. I assume not every single person is taking a copious notes as you talk here. Yeah, no, uh, no, so. but it's, you always do that. You always you start with a good wok, oil, add your protein, cook it most almost all the way through. You can you know for for beef I just go to to rare mid rare, but pork and chicken you cook almost all the way through. You set it aside. You then add the veg that you like, and have, sometimes the veg has been blanched in water before, so it keeps it green. Then add back the protein, whatever the sauce may be, the stir-fry sauce, what you may have, and then just finish it, and you're done. And, and again, if it's a small wok or a very underpowered stove, just break the recipe in half and do half and do the other half. Now, what so about Chinese vegetable dishes? Uh, because because so many people are, are unaware of how rich uh, the... The vegetable cuisine is, and uh, I mean, there, there was a, a wonderful Chinese restaurant run by a kind of a grandmotherly figure we called Judy, where I went to music school, and, uh, and, and I always said, Judy, just bring me any Chinese vegetable, whatever you have on hand. 
And uh, right. and this is something that, that one can easily do at home. It would be at bok choy or Chinese broccoli or whatever. Um, what, what, what's a nice, easy preparation for, for a real authentic to Ming size palate uh, vegetable dish? So I, I love um, the sauce I love to use for vegetables. It, it's actually called oyster sauce, but it's a vegetarian oyster sauce. And it's made from shiitake mushrooms. Um, so this oyster sauce is very just full of flavor, full of umami, and it's fantastic for stir frying, gailan, gai choy, bok choy, any of those Chinese veg. So, and you only need a tablespoon or so to finish the sauce. The classic beginning is again oil. I tend to use oil, uh, canola or grapeseed oil. A t- good tablespoon of uh, minced ginger and minced garlic, and a bunch of scallions. I put the white of the scallions in. I save the green thinly sliced for the garnish. So you get all those aromatics in the oil. You're flavoring the oil. So then you add your vegetables. It could be, like you said, Chinese broccoli or bok choy. So the leafy stuff, you don't need to blanch. If it's a harder vegetable, if they're like snap and snow peas and stuff, I like to put those in and out of boiling salted water and shock them. That maintains the greenness, I and mean, all you have to do is heat them for just like 30 seconds in, in the oil. But regardless of whatever the vegetable is, start with that flavored oil, garlic, ginger, scallions, add the veg, move it around till they start glistening and just get, you know, get to that medium rare. They only take two to three minutes. And at the very end, add a tablespoon or two of this, of this uh, oyster, veggie oyster sauce. If you don't have that, just a tablespoon of soy sauce can do the trick as well. Um, if you want it a little bit more saucy, you can add then veg stock. And if you do that, then usually you add a little cornstarch slurry, which is cornstarch or just water that would just thicken that vegetable juices in the veg stock a little bit. Uh, I don't tend to do that at home. Um, I'd rather just get the veg, get them nice and you know, keep them a little bit crisp and then serve them on the side of whatever dish I have. Yeah, because uh, this, this is exactly what, what she did when, when I've asked Judy, and I, how, how the hell do you make this taste so good? And she, she, she never let me back in the kitchen, unfortunately. But, but, but what she described <laughs> to me was, was, was pretty much ex- exactly what you said. And, um, and, and I've had great results at home. L- less great results, I, I have to say, are with scallion pancakes, which, which I, I thought, in my ignorance until I went to China, uh, first time I went was in 2007, I, I, I thought it was simply a sort of American invention. Uh, little did I know that, that they were to be found everywhere, oh, no. everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. I, and after, after a long night, this is right after high school had finished, and at the end of the orchestra tour, we were in Shanghai, and a, a long night, this, let's just say, out with a couple of friends, uh, about uh, yep. 4.30 in the morning, there they were, the, the stands, uh, in, on the side of the street, frying scallion pancakes, and and there was um, never a, a sweeter taste or a sweeter sight at that time than those scallion pancakes, which were unbelievably <laughs> uh, puffy and and really uh, just so uh, filled with scallions, many more than I find in Chinese yep. restaurants here. Um, and yeah, and, you know, uh, you know, they're making them fresh. They're making them fresh to order. You saw that guy, right? He was he was just rolling them out and putting them in his oil. And, and that is the secret, because there's really three ingredients. It's all-purpose flour, water, and scallions, and, and little sesame oil. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I noticed the same thing. In, I, I was in Taipei a couple months ago, and, and I noticed the same thing with the scallion pancakes. They're this unbelievable uh, puffiness and, and lightness, and uh, something I, I hadn't ever uh, achieved as, as perfectly at home. Uh, but I, I keep trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and by the way, you, you touched on a great point most of the best food in the world china especially but all over asia and all over europe for that matter is the street food you know i say i say if you're going to travel the world just just bulk up on probiotics 
right? <laughs> Meaning take take the pills because you can't find Greek yogurt everywhere. Yeah. But I'm being serious because the bacteria in another country, be it Mexico or China, doesn't matter. Paris or France, the bacteria is different. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And if your body's not used to it and you don't have a gut filled with flora from all the probiotics, you're going to be in trouble. So take probiotics and then you can eat, eat with a bin for the most part. Absolutely. Now, uh, we, if you have a few extra minutes, I'd love to talk to you about some of your future projects and, and Blue Dragon as well, which we haven't gotten a chance to touch on. If yep. you can hang through one Absolutely. more break. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you so much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. You recognize the voice. It's Ming Tsai from TV. That's it. Uh, legendary chef, uh, East meets West, and uh, lots of other great things. I'd say been educating the American food populace for the past 20, 25, 30 years. Anyway, we'll get more education and great flavors uh, on WWL with the one and only gourmet cellist back in a flash. It's the Food Show. Welcome back. Some wonderfully sad uh, cello music. It's a great song, though. Uh, Hand curated by Doug Christian, the producer here, who's second to none. Also second to none is Chef Ming Tsai who uh, has hung through the break again, uh, and, and we indeed thank you. You're quite welcome. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm looking through the, um, the dinner menu that, that's posted online at, at, uh, at the Blue Dragon website, and, uh, and for, for those that, that aren't aware, for, for many years you ran a restaurant, Blue Ginger, in Wellesley, Massachusetts, which is a stone's throw from Boston. Um, closed that a couple of years ago and opened uh, in Boston Blue Dragon, um, what is Blue Dragon? What was Blue Ginger? Uh, and uh, what, trace the evolution a little bit here. Yeah, so so Blue Ginger was my first restaurant that I owned myself with my wife. And it's 19-year, um, we had a great 19-year run. And it was actually just perfect timing. Uh, I'm very proud that I got the, I closed on top, closed when I wanted to. Most restaurants close because they have to. And, uh, and it was just perfect timing. I have, I have lots of other projects and, and focuses that I'm, that I'm doing now. Um, one of them being, of course, uh, Blue Dragon. So Blue Ginger was really the, the foundation of, of me being a chef. That's where I started doing East-West Cuisine and created a lot of my signature dishes. And uh, I can probably say I got three stars and, and we became popular before I was on TV. So it wasn't TV that made it a good restaurant. It was it was very probably a very, it was, for me, my, my, my blood blood sweat and tears the good old-fashioned way yeah before tv and social media yeah yeah exactly and then blue blue dragon's been around now for um six years and very similar food meaning east west and technique and all that but it is more um much more much more casual and uh we have uh, high bar stools it's only like 60 60 plus seats and um, plus the bar seeds, lots of dumplings and noodles, our signature fried chicken that coincidentally is gluten-free. I didn't make it to be gluten-free. Just after three months of trying my fried chicken recipes, the two flours of cornstarch and rice flour ended up being the two best ones. And when I started doing my allergy sheets, I realized, like, wow, this is actually gluten-free. That's actually pretty cool. Okay, wait, wait, and, pa- uh, pause there, pause there, because you, you, you're talking to an audience that, that eats a lot of fried chicken, and there's a lot of good places to get right. fried chicken in New Orleans. Uh, can, can you tell us how to make that? Don't worry, no one here is going to put you out of business with the fried chicken. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, an, it's an arduous process. We, we take our chicken, we brine it in a salted buttermilk, so not just brine normally, just be salt and water, right? We do salt and buttermilk. Um, we actually steam the chicken 
Um, because real fried chicken start to finish can take 40 minutes plus unless you have a pressure fryer. So, you know, we can't have a 40-minute pickup in a restaurant that's quick, right? So we actually steam flavor into the chicken, then cool that down quickly. Then that chicken is good to go for then uh, when service. It's, we still fry 20 minutes, right? It just seems to get it just a little bit started, and uh, it gets the flavor in. We do a buttermilk tempura. So tempura is a classic Japanese technique, which is kind of a wet batter. But using, again, every culture in the country and the world has a fried chicken. So I, we, we dredge it in a seasoned flour mixture um, after dipping it into this buttermilk tempura. Um, so it has two types of crunches, if you would. And I just love it. I didn't, I didn't think opening Blue Dragon is one of the signature dishes going to be a fried chicken, but you know what? <laughs> Once you have it, that you may you may agree it's it's a it's a good one, and there's a lot of good ones out there for the record. It's just <laughs> ironic that because I've been working in the allergy space my whole life since my first son was born, David. He's now 19, and he had all these life-threatening food allergies. So it's just ironic. It was basically subliminal and unconsciously I created a fried chicken that was gluten-free. And, and it happens to be your your absolute go-to at this point. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, it's, it's funny, when, when I make things, or I, I have people over for dinner parties a lot, and I, I tend to make sort of sort of food from, from where I spent the most time, which, which is in central Italy, in, in Lazio and Rome. And, uh, and and sometimes I make something, and they say, hey, this is vegan, or it's vegetarian. I, it doesn't even cross my mind. I mean, it, it happens to be, but I only made it because um, it happened to, to taste the best. Um, but, I mean, right. there's, there are a lot of dishes that, that, that do happen to be very... Uh, very good for people who have who have sensitivities, and, and uh, you don't even need to alter them really because that's how they happen to be. Yeah, no, I agree, and and, and you know you're cooking from the heart when you cook at home, and that's that's what people love most about when you cook or I cook or any of us cook at home, right? Because it is you're doing it for the labor of love. You're doing it because you know you can make people happy. Absolutely. Now, uh, and, if, and, if it, and if it's delicious, that really helps. <laughs> now, how long do you steam the chicken for? I'm curious before you fry it. You, I mean, you steam it till it's cooked through, or, or, or halfway, or no? We yeah, just we just get it going. We just get it going. So it's like ten minutes just to get it going because we we just want to stay ahead of it. And uh, and I find by steaming it keeps it still keeps it nice and moist. I see. Because uh, that's that's the goal. You don't you can never have a fried chicken that's not moist. Then you you start over. Start over. <laughs> Now you do a lot of work uh, outside the restaurant. You not only do you, you have a long-running show for PBS, um, but you do a lot of work with foundations and a lot of uh, yep. sort of what's called giving back and uh, and, and yep. helping a, a wider populace. What 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 was the impetus for that? Because a lot of people um, like staying in the routine and like raking in the checks and and sitting back easy with a cognac and a cigar every night, and that's it. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I the one thing I hope my kids will will remember, if any, if there's ever any legacy to think about, is how do you leave your mark? How do you how do you leave the world a better place when you got here? And, and I've been very blessed, and, and had you know, still have two amazing parents, and I just they, they paid for my college education, and I don't take that for granted at all. I mean, I know how much that is, and so I've always I've always had the opportunity to give back, and. And I'm very proud of the work I've done. Food allergy space, I've done a lot of work for, and all of us chefs, I'm not the only one. All of us are always asked to cook at all the galas and events. And honestly, at a certain point, for almost about 15, 10 years ago, it got too much. It was just 
you know, it got too much because people started getting mad at you when you said no. And I'm like, I'm already doing 10 events. So, you know, I don't, I don't appreciate you giving me attitude. I can't do your event as well. Yeah. I know it's important. And there's, there's not one more important, you know, priority than another one. But, but I finally, um, in the last nine years, I've been working with Family Reach. We're the only national charity that financially helps families with cancer. And the number one cause, you may not know, the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in this country today is actually cancer. Wow. So when I found that out, wow. yeah, you had, so you just had the aha moment. Yeah. People don't think about that. But if you're in the 1%, your kid gets cancer, you're going to be fine. But for the 99% that are not in the 1%, if your kid gets cancer, it's a serious cost. It's not only the horrible thing that your son or yourself has cancer, but that's a real issue itself, but add to that a financial burden or financial toxicity, uh, it is, it can... It can greatly unravel your health care. You know, we've done a lot of research, and, and again, I'm very proud of the amount of money I've raised with these guys. Uh, we Basically, the blunt data is the poorer you are, the higher chance you're not going to survive cancer. And that's just wrong. That's a broken system. And, and we are trying to change the system as well, but changing things with the government now or ever is always incredibly hard. So... So for now, we're writing checks and helping, but now we're educating people about financial assistance and thinking about not maxing your credit cards out, the first thing to do that. And you actually can defer costs. We're trying to get to the people that actually do kick people out, i.e. the banks and mortgage lenders, and trying to get anything, but kicking them out of their home is going to change their lives forever. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we're getting a lot of great traction. It's something I'm really proud of. And, and uh, actually, my cooking live is coming up uh, Monday, May 13th at the Boston Ritz-Carlton. So uh, I know we probably have a couple seats left. It's an awesome event. I got Ken Oranger cooking and Tiffany Faison and Joanne Chang. Uh, so some of the top chefs of Boston. We do this always in Boston and New York. It's the seventh one doing it. And, and we've raised over $7 million, um, which is a big wow. number for, wow. for any charity. And, and how, how can we find more information about this about this organization and, and about so this? Go to, go to uh, familyreach.org. Familyreach.org. Okay, familyreach.org. And, and there's also information about these gala uh, fundraising dinners 100%. that you have. Yes, that, absolutely. That is great, and, and it's so nice to, about to hear about uh, someone using their their public pedestal um, to to reach out farther than yeah. uh, than you need to because uh, there's 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 no need to do this. But it, if if it comes from yeah. inside and you feel like you have to, then you you understand there actually is a need. You know. Yeah, and by um, the way, it's one of the things I I try to teach my young cooks. It says I teach them how to cook, teach them how to taste, but but I also teach them how to give back. And they come to the events with me. They see the impact they have. They meet the people, the families, the cause. Uh, it's it's it has to be part of your DNA if you're going to be a good chef. You look at any of these great chefs: Thomas Keller, Daniel Blewett, everyone on down. We all have our causes, and it's just part of being a chef. What what drives you at this point in, in your in your cooking? I mean, you've been in food. I could probably safely say your entire life, other than uh, uh, mechanical engineering at Yale, uh, and, and maybe you didn't cook while you were uh, at Andover either. But um, maybe you, you had a heck roll card there too. Making stuff. <laughs> And red red hot pots we're making ramen noodles 100. <laughs> so, so, cool. so what 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 drives what, what drives what you're doing now and what, what new projects, um, culinarily speaking, uh, do you have going on that that excite you right now, 2019? Yeah, you know, I, I think we've always said this in Chinese culture, and, and now a lot of cultures and, and people are also 
follow this, which is food is medicine. And it literally is. And, and I've always, I've always used the old adage, you are what you eat. I've always said that. And it's so true. And, you know, you know, I, I, I personally cook more, not not necessarily vegetarian, but I use meat for flavoring more so, and um, um, but veg heavy, which is which is um, which is the s- smartest way to eat, in my opinion. I mean, look, a ribeye steak. If you eat one every week or twice a week, that's a lot, right? A ribeye a month, that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. So my cooking is starting to reflect that as well. Uh, so we always have veggie dumplings and whatnot, and I do. I tend to always go for oh, the quinoa salad at lunch. So. I just, I do think you are what you eat. And, and, you know, at home we're juicing in the morning at times with celery and, and cucumber juice and things like that. Um, you can really keep yourself healthy and keep diseases away by just eating smart. And, and if you think that's too much, i.e. the fifth slice of pizza, it is too much. I mean, <laughs> you, have to, you can eat everything basically just in moderation. It's not, don't put yourself on any of these extreme diets only protein or only fat or only this or butter with coffee or only cabbage juice or all. none of those work mm-hmm. you need balance you need something that actually you that you will stick no one's going to drink cabbage juice and eat cabbage for the rest of their life yeah. right so pick something that works for you and just do it moderately and you'll be amazed and, and, and by the way you got to move that's walking that's running that's running, that's whatever but you have to move too you can't just be sedentary on your couch and expect you'll know, live longer than anyone else. Then, then, that doesn't happen. Then, then, they, then, then PBS should stop showing your show, and, and maybe people will get off the couch because there's not <laughs> much else to watch. <laughs> My show's only a half an hour. you got another 23 and a half hours to move. <laughs> okay, okay, got it. Uh, you know, those, those are, are really wise words, and, and I so appreciate the uh, the breadth that you bring to the conversation because it's it's You're not welcome. it's not just a, a rote, uh, uh, listless listing off of, of things, but but it's really sort of a, a gestalt and uh, expression of the joie de vivre that you uh, you brought to food, and the passion for people that you've had for the past 30, 35 years. Uh, like I said, I've been very lucky. I get to do something I love to do, and will continue hopefully. For a very long time, I'll well, uh, be cooking for a very long time. Well, and and you still have time. You're you you're still young. You still have time to go to, uh, study in China and work at a restaurant in oh, China. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have many plans. I have many plans. Probably not a restaurant there. It's too hard to do a restaurant there. But definitely to go, continue to be a student, and we we all are. It so, keeps us young. Beautiful. Listen, man, it was a real, real pleasure chatting. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you talking about the charity. And, and for all the listeners, keep listening to the show and, and uh, you know, give back. I think we got to. And just remember, you are what you eat. That's so important. I really think that is. There he goes, Chef Ming Tsai. Thank you so much. All right, man. Peace and good day. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Uh, this is uh, Dan Lelchuk, the gourmet cellist, uh, finishing up a, uh, a delightful conversation with Chef Ming Tsai, many cookbooks, 18 years on PBS, and uh, and we encourage you to call us and give feedback about uh, what you've just heard, which was, I would say, one of the most interesting uh, conversations that's taken place on the Food Show in a long time. And you can call in uh, by dialing the following numbers, 504-260-6368, 260-MENU, 504-260-6368. We've been hearing a lot about Chinese food. I, I think there was a break coming up, but maybe uh, there's not a break coming up. So uh, so you still have, uh, what, six whole minutes to call. 
uh, some of the things that Chef Ming Tsai touched on are, are very interesting also in terms of the practicality about cooking Chinese food at home because I think it is something that a lot of people find uh, intimidating. Uh, but if you go back and listen to the podcast and if you, if you buy one of his books or another good Chinese cookbook, I can speak from experience. I think you'll learn that actually you can make very good, very flavorful, very healthy, relatively quick food from China in your kitchen in New Orleans or in Sacramento or in Rome, wherever you happen to be listening. I know people listen to this show from all over the world. Uh, it, it isn't so intimidating. I, I learned, actually, when the Chinese New Year was a couple of months ago, I had some friends over, and we, we said, uh, okay, we're going to make some Chinese food. And I have a wonderful cookbook uh, by Barbara Trope, Barbara, T-R-O-P-P, The Modern Art of Chinese Cooking. And uh, we opened this cookbook. I have had it since probably better part of 15 years. And uh, we picked some recipes, noodles and uh, a beef recipe, scallion pancakes. And uh, you, could real, you really can do this at home, and, uh, and you shouldn't be intimidated by it. So, so if you have any experience cooking Asian food at home uh, or going out to Asian food, but specifically Chinese, but uh, we can broaden it out a little bit, uh, food of the Far East. Why don't you call and tell me? Uh, all you have to do is dial 504-260-6368, 260-6368. Only four minutes left. You're running out of time here, uh, although there is the next hour in case you work up the courage then. But it's not so bad. You just pick up the phone and call. Um, in any case, we, we also have um, a, a few interesting things on the on the food front here coming in. Uh, along the wires from The Advocate, uh, some top picks for restaurants, and, and some of these are really great choices. Best bang for the buck, for example. Uh, who isn't looking to save a little money these days? Why not? A and this is uh, a thousand figs, 3141 Ponce de Leon Street, uh, and here's the why. Dazzlingly, dazzlingly, dazzlingly. There it is, dazzlingly. <laughs> Fresh Mediterranean food on a budget. Uh, third time's a charm there. And uh, this is actually a, a wonderful place. I, I go pretty often myself. Uh, this is falafel. This is fresh pickled garnishes. This is garlicky sauces, crusty bread, and uh, a real earthy kind of undertone to the whole thing. It's a very small place, but I'm always uh, able to get a table either inside or outside. Uh, they have a wine shop right next door that's Swirl, S-W-I-R-L, Swirl. And I go over there, I get a bottle of wine, and I sit on a table in front of Thousand Figs right on the sidewalk, and I order something like a kebab or a, or a salad, and they... The hummus there is, is, is world-class. Open the bottle of wine, you sit there. It, it's that great little sort of triangular street intersection uh, right in the heart of mid-city. And I think you'd like it a lot. Uh, I certainly do. I, I go there a lot. Thousand Figs, 3141 Ponce de Leon. I, I'm, I'm reading, if, if you missed it, from 
uh, best uh, restaurant report in the New Orleans Advocate, which is just now coming through uh, across the wires. Another place that that really uh, stands out here, uh, we're still in the budget category. Maybe in the next hour we'll move into the uh, the non-budget category. <laughs> it's, uh, Dunbar's Creole Cafe. And here's the why. Bargain breakfast and full meal specials under $10. Now, how is that? Under $10. So this is uh, like Barrow's just up the road, Dunbar's. It's the return of a beloved restaurant of the pre-Katrina vintage uh, it is really uh, going back to uh, generations along the river parishes, uh, transported to the city. It's it's a thin roux, and it's it's with many meats, uh, seafood together. Don't forget smothered okra, catfish, smothered cabbage. You know, a lot of smothering going on over there <laughs> at, at Dunbar's, uh, which is <laughs> located at thirty-eight. 34 Earhart Boulevard, open all the time, uh, 504-260-6368. You missed your chance for this hour, but you get another chance in about five minutes when we return. Uh, 504-260-6368, talking about the food of the East or anything else, but I, I, I'd love to hear about some Chinese food you've had recently and if you cook it at home. This is Dan Leltrick, the Gourmet Cellist, 105.3 FM HD2 and WWL.com. It's the Food Show. Stay tuned for the news and then more Food Show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.